Greetings and salutations, dear listener, and a very happy new year to you. And welcome to the inaugural 2019 episode of Indiscretions. As always, I am your host, Catherine Emily. And being that it's a new year and we need to get back into the swing of things after a very relaxing holiday break, I want to start today's podcast off with a bit of a story. So I spent quite a bit of time in Boston over the holidays. Boston, which is a city of contradictions in some respects, because it still very much tries to sell itself as the crucible of the American Revolution, yet Massachusetts won't let restaurants cook hamburgers to any temperature below medium. So I'm not sure how well that fits in with the spirit of the Boston Tea Party. But anyway, there we were. It's the Saturday before Christmas, and I'm in Quincy Market with my family doing a bit of holiday shopping, as is our long-standing tradition. And we've all sort of dispersed in our wandering around Faneuil Hall. And a little fun fact for you, in case you don't know, Quincy Market is the oldest open-air market in the country. And being a political scientist and a history buff, I have, of course, wandered right into the heart of the tourist trap snare that is the market inside Faneuil Hall. And that is the National Park Service gift shop, because it's plastered with images of the Founding Fathers and the Continental Congress, which is lodestone to somebody with my proclivities. And it strikes me as I'm waiting in line to purchase my pencil sharpener, which is shaped like the famous bust of Thomas Jefferson, that the actual museum in the basement of Faneuil Hall is closed because the National Park Service is closed due to this ridiculous showdown melodrama. Yet the gift store, because it's run by a contractor, is open. So the government is still making money off of me, even though it's not providing the service that my tax dollars go towards. And of course, in the full-fledged spirit of grumpy libertarianism, I'm against the National Park Service anyway. There's nothing in the Constitution about seizing large tracts of land to preserve wilderness or national heritage sites. Ergo, the federal government shouldn't be doing it. But the National Park Service exists, and my tax dollars go to subsidize it, so I still should be able to enjoy it. It shouldn't hinge on a seesawing game of political football. Or at least, if we are going to have seesawing games of political football that affect what government services I'm able to enjoy, then I should get some sort of refund. Of course, we all know that's not how the government works. Now, I'm all for government shutdowns. Yes, they are in the long run more expensive than is government when it runs continuously, but they also prove that there are a lot of government services that are non-essential. In fact, this shutdown is barely even a shutdown. There are only a handful of agencies that are affected, and many of these have budget surpluses that are allowing them to still run, and many of them have essential services, which are exempt from government shutdowns anyway. And uh, Roll Call has published a breakdown of what agencies are affected, and I'm going to read through them for you because 
it's very illuminating and very aggravating to hear not only the way in which budgeting works, but the way in which the media portrays this shutdown and the apocalyptic nature of, of suddenly you would think that, you know, the entire nation is just going to shut down and we're going to be in anarchy versus what the reality is. So first on Roll Call's list is the Department of Agriculture, which, like many of the agencies that are affected by the shutdown, is only partially shuttered. So, quoting from Roll Call's story, At the agency's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, a mix of trust funds and user fees would allow workers to continue to inspect for pests and fruit, vegetables, and birds being exported or imported. About 69% of employees would continue duties ranging from treatment of ticks and cattle and deer along the U.S.-Mexico border to caring for animals at labs and research facilities. Carried over funding and reimbursements would allow the Food Safety and Inspection Service to continue inspection of meats, poultry, and eggs products, along with lab work to identify food safety threats and emergency preparedness. About 5% of workers at the Department of Food Nash, excuse me, at the Department's Food, Nutrition, and Consumer Services would be needed to keep benefits flowing to beneficiaries in the SNAP program, along with the Women, Infants, and Children's program and the National School Lunch and Breakfast programs. End quote. Okay, so Department of Agriculture affected by the government shutdown, but also not really affected by the government shutdown because of the way that they get funding, most of which, as we can see, does not come from congressional appropriations. We have a similar story at the Department of Commerce. Again, quoting from Roll Call's story, with continuing funds from previous appropriations, the department says it will continue to provide services from agencies including the Bureau of Census, National Institute of Science and Technology, and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Okay, so again, previous appropriations. So this means that they have leftover money. A question you might ask yourself is why any government agency would have leftover money, why that doesn't go back into the general fund, why Congress doesn't base its appropriation based on actual need and not based on projections, and then we have agencies that have surpluses, because again, these are all, the way that this funding is done is more appropriate to, say, a business than one would think it would be to a government agency. Continuing down the list, we have the EPA, also affected, it too has carryover funds. Financial regulation, a lot of these agencies largely run on fees. Again, something that we would think is more akin to a business than to a government agency, which we also subsidize with our tax dollars. But a lot of the financial regulatory agencies um, have departments that are affected by congressional appropriations as well, so they'll see some cutbacks in employees showing up to work, but essential services such as the SEC's filing system will continue to run. It will cease to provide some services, including accepting filings, providing interpretive advice, and issuing no-action letters. We have similar stories at the Departments of Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, and the State Department. Many of the services that they provide are considered essential. They are related to the preservation of life and property, so they are exempt from government shutdown, and much of the agency's mission is still fulfilled. 
Now, I'll post the roll call article in the show notes because it's a very good breakdown, and I encourage that you read it in more detail, largely to see the number of agencies that run on fees provided by taxpayers who utilize some service the agency provides. And what we can see from this is the shutdown is obviously not that big a deal in terms of disruption. Yes, the shutdown is annoying. Yes, it gives politicians an opportunity to grandstand and moralize, and Lord knows they don't need an excuse to go on TV and do that. But clearly there's not actually that much disruption to essential government services. Government is still running. So why is this something to be upset about? Because government, in many cases, is not behaving like government, but a business. Let's go back to the national parks, because this is what got me thinking about this and got me really hot and bothered. Most national parks, in case you haven't noticed, ask you to pay a fee when you enter them. Now, if these were private businesses, I would have no issue with that whatsoever, because they are asking you to provide a fee in return for a service, i.e. you enter whatever national park it is, whether it's, um, you know, Yellowstone, whether it's Minuteman National Park, and you're going there because you expect to get something in return. You expect a nice walk in the woods. You expect to be able to look at some majestic scenery. You expect to be able to visit a national heritage site and to learn something or to be able to enjoy something about American history. But you pay that fee because you know you're getting something in return. But the National Park Service, which is part of the Department of the Interior, is subsidized by taxpayer dollars. And it's subsidized by taxpayer dollars so that those sites can exist. Which means that I've already paid my fee. I shouldn't have to pay an additional service fee when I go into the park. And that fee that you're paying, which is your tax dollars, is not voluntary it's being forcibly taken out of your your paycheck through various forms of taxation that are compulsory. And so essentially for then the National Park Service to turn around and ask you to pay another fee when you enter is a double tax because if the Department of the Interior is going to fund the National Park Service, then they need to be able to do that to a budget. And if they can't do that to a budget, that's a problem that Congress has to deal with through appropriations and it needs to change the way that it appropriates funds. And it needs to tell the Department of the Interior to stick to a budget. And it shouldn't then be passed on to the taxpayer so that I'm paying doubly. I'm paying in my tax dollars, which fund the Department of the interior, which funds the National Park Service. Plus, anytime I go to a national park, I have to pay an additional service fee. That is something that I would expect more from a business. And it's something that I would get upset with if a business did it to me. So let's take the example of something we all have to deal with paying your internet or cable bill. And When you pay your internet or cable bill, you do so expecting that you're going to be provided with a certain service. There are terms that you agree to when you pay money to whatever company you pay. And then you get annoyed with that company if, on the one hand, you start racking up fees for things that are not included in your general service fee, but are still kind of necessary if you want the product to work the right way. 
And on the other hand, you also get annoyed when that service stops working and the company turns around and charges you more money to get it back to working, even though the lapse of service is their fault. You wouldn't put up with that treatment from that internet or cable company. You would probably call them up and yell at them, and then if you could, you would change your service. So why would you put up with that treatment from the government? Because this is the same situation. But it's worse, because with the government, if it's compulsive. Again, if you don't like your internet service provider, you can usually switch. You can't switch with the government. And it gets even worse because the federal government is often sold in terms of, well, it's better for government to manage certain services because there are inequities in the free market and they're not fair and we need to manage them to make sure that everyone gets a fair shake. But does any of what's going on right now seem fair to you? Because there's nothing that you or I can do, even though we are affected. And yes, there are a lot of ways in which we're not affected. Essential services are still running. But a lot of the other services that the government provides, things that you might want to do because they're fun, like go visit a national park with your family over the holidays, are you can't go to right now, even though your tax dollars are still going to fund these agencies. And, and, and that's not fair because there's nothing that you and I can do about that. Politicians, and they're all culpable, I don't care what their party allegiance is, are currently holding government services hostage. Republicans have chosen to die on their ridiculous hill on funding for a wall that hasn't even been legislatively approved. So I don't know how you can appropriate funds for something that Congress hasn't passed yet, but apparently that's the battle we're now holding. That's how ridiculous government is at the moment. And they're doing this in the name of security, which is just a nebulous platitude dressed up as principle. And Democrats are doing their, their own thing with dressing up uh, dressing up principle as nebulous platitudes and, and simply negating anything their opponents do and stand for. But this whole mass is not actually about principle. If either party wanted to actually legislate based on principle, that would be fantastic. But you know what would be a good starting point? Defense of individual rights. And not individual rights in terms of this pretense where government services are akin to rights, where providing certain services that make your life more secure or more comfortable are akin to to individual rights, because they're not, because you don't have a right to anything that relies on the service of another. That's a form of slavery. Anything that government provides is provided with money that has been taken from one person to give to another, which is a form of forced subsidization, which is slavery. If politicians want to start acting on principle, they can start paring down government so that individuals are not affected by political squabbles. So that when they want to go out and do something like enjoy a day with their family or accomplish some task so that they can organize their life, they're not stymied by government's inability to manage itself because that's an infringement on freedom. And let's talk not just about national park services, but some of the services that the SEC has shut down, things that are perhaps a little bit more essential to the way that certain businesses run. Because let's remember, if you don't comply with certain practices that the SEC has, you're going to run up against the law. And if you can't do that because government has shut down and you find yourself in some sort of 
questionable legal situation, that's a huge problem. And it's particularly a huge problem when government has created that that quandary. And and what we're really talking about now is government actively infringing upon on freedom because government's job is to protect your rights when other actors infringe upon them and government is one of those actors government is supposed to protect you from infringements created by others and it's also importantly and this is a really fundamental distinction that the american political system makes government is supposed to protect you from government and it's utterly failing in that regard right now. In fact, it is actively creating situ- situations in which it is infringing upon your rights and doing so in the name of protecting those rights. And that fundamental paradox just can't be gotten around. And on another note, the idea that government should act on principle is utterly ridiculous. Government should act on the principle that it shouldn't infringe your rights. But when we're connecting principles to certain value judgments and certain morals, then we're creating a situation where government is becoming proactive in 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 bringing about certain ends and picking out something and saying, this is a good end and I'm going to to move law towards this end and try to mold society in that direction. And when it does that, it can't protect your rights because it is taking away your ability to make value judgments for yourself. So the only principle in which government should concern itself is the idea that it needs to protect your rights. And one of those rights is freedom of conscience. And freedom of conscience means having the ability to make decisions for yourself, having the ability to determine for for yourself what right and wrong are, and then to take actions to ensure that your life is meets that standard of right and wrong. It is not the job of government to take upon that responsibility for yourself. And in that regard, acting on principle is just not the primary job of politicians. Much as I hate to admit that because I'm an idealist and I like politicians who go in there and take stand for principles, but I don't want those principles to be connected to certain moral ideas because the primary job of politicians, if we're talking purely in terms of political science and not in terms of philosophy, is to ensure that government is stable and secure because part of making sure that you have rights that you're able to exercise is the idea that you live in a society where you know what the basic layout is from day to day. You know that you are going to be able to to get up in the morning, drive on the roads, and get to your job and run your business in a manner that is compliant with the law so that you're not going to have agents of the government stopping in and harassing you or trying to hold you hostage. It is government's responsibility to create that framework, to create a stable and uniform rule of law so that you have orientation in society, so that you get up in the morning and you know what the situation is going to be. You don't want it to be some sort of guessing game where you don't know if 
your neighbor is going to come in and try to shake you down or if the government is going to try to come in and shake you down or you don't know whether you're going to be able to comply with certain government regulations because politicians are having a hissy fit and government services are shut down and you can't do the things that you need to do in order to run your business and comply with basic government regulations and that's the thing if government is going to create these regulations it is then it's responsibility to ensure that the regulations are able to be met. But when it plays games like this, that becomes impossible. And unfortunately, the brunt of that burden, the brunt of being unable to comply with those regulations falls on citizens. Government doesn't look at you and say, well, we screwed up and we shut down the SEC, so you couldn't file this paperwork and we couldn't process in time. They're going to turn around and they're going to ask you questions and you're going to be the one who ends up in legal jeopardy. And that's not okay. And in terms of stability and this being really the primary job of government we're talking about stability here in terms of of rights of having you can talk about rights in the abstract and and we do and I do a lot and I do a lot on this podcast because that's important but at a certain level we have to bring rights out of the abstract and they need to be exercisable which means that that is part of security, is government being able to make them exercisable. And it does that through law and order and through a normal government process that is relatively stable from day to day. And so that's the primary job of politicians, to ensure that government is functional. And that means not holding the funding of government agencies hostile because of any personal problems. It means that when you're in the majority, your own foibles don't become the ruler for morality. Your judgment is not the engine for lawmaking. And then if you're in the minority, you're not refusing to legislate because of your disagreements with the people in the majority. That action is appropriate in the private sector because the private sector is based on volition. You get to choose what businesses you patronize. You get to decide whether or not you agree with their values and whether or not because you have a certain set of values and a business has a certain set of values, you want to promote that and try to buoy the place of those values in the world by patronizing them and bringing them closer to the apex of society. But at the same time, if you don't like a business because you disagree with their values, you can go somewhere else and patronize a different set of values. And the people with whom you disagree are still free to follow their own conscience and to do things their own way. And the same thing can't be said about government. There's, there's nothing you can do if you disagree with the goals of the agencies your tax dollars go towards. And this is an issue regardless of your political ideology. Whether you're a pro-life conservative upset about the federal funds that go towards Planned Parenthood, or a progressive con concerned with the disparate impact that the Justice Department's drug laws have on people of colors. We all lose when government wraps itself in a crusader's cape and when it provides services that are designed to push a certain end and to bring about certain values. And it doesn't matter how noble that end is and whether we can all get behind it, whether it's something innocuous like feeding the homeless or providing health care to wounded vets or whatever your favorite cause is. 
when government legislates ends, it sets a precedent. It gives government the power to legislate those ends, to make value judgments. It allows politicians to, to bring their own moral judgments into the laws that are made. And that means that anyone who has power can twist law and, and ensure that that lawmaking is warped, that it suits their personal desires. And we, the citizens whose rights are supposed to be protected by, protected by government, have a say in none of that. And we have a say in none of the nonsense that's currently going on. And what that means when a certain politician says that I'm going to pursue a certain bill because I think it's the right thing to do with a capital R and they become swelled with a sense of moral justification. That means that because the law is compulsory and we all have to comply with it, that means that you and I lose the right to make our own value judgments for ourselves. That's an infringement upon our freedom of conflict of freedom of conscience and our autonomy is truncated because we have to comply with that law or face the legal ramifications and our ability to make our own value judgments is truncated because you don't necessarily get to dissent with the morality that is imbued into law because if you do and if you try to dissent again now you're running up with I'm not complying with the law and there are legal ramifications and so this is why government shouldn't be involved in these kinds of ends and it's why government shutdowns particularly when they're rooted in these sort of petty personal squabbles like this one is, are particularly obnoxious. And they're also obnoxious because they reveal a lot of the, the funding nonsense that goes on. Because government still is going to demand at the end of the year the same amount of money. Government is still going to take the same amount of money out of your taxes. But because politicians have played games, the services that government has taken upon itself to provide, that has said these are so essential and we must provide them for you in order to, to ensure that you have a just life, to ensure that you have a comfortable life, because government uh, has taken upon itself the idea that security is its job, and part of that security is making sure that you are financially secure, that you are materially secure, that you have food and benefits and all these things. Because it's taken those roles upon itself, and it's created all of these agencies and these services, and then it turns around and it pulls these little stunts where we shut down the government over personal squabbles and suddenly these services become more difficult to for citizens to actually get. And that's a problem because our tax dollars are still going to them. And in some cases, it's not just our tax dollars. Then there are also service fees. And again, this is the kind of service you would not put up with from a business. And it is even worse when the government behaves this way and when the government behaves like a business, particularly as the government often takes on these roles because it says that business isn't properly equipped to do them. But when you don't like business, at least you often have the option to walk away and to go to a competitor. Government, on the other hand, is compulsive. There is no way to get outside of the purview of the federal government without incurring some sort of legal penalty. And that is an infringement on freedom. 
And that's why you should be upset about government shutdowns, because they reveal exactly how flawed the entire ethos of our current government is. And on that note, I think we'll call it an end of today's podcast. On behalf of the Politics of Discretion, I am Catherine Emily. Thank you so much for listening and reading, and please interact with us on social media. We are the Politics of Discretion on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. You can find this podcast on YouTube, and within the next couple of months, hopefully, our YouTube channel will become an actual video versus the audio feed, which you can find on iTunes and SoundCloud. And happy musing in the new year.